Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. I want you to imagine that I invite you over after church to see my new bunny rabbit. And I'm really, really excited about this bunny rabbit. It's awesome. It lives in my backyard, bounces around, it eats the grass, it fertilizes the yard. It's just beautiful. It's an awesome little bunny rabbit. And I am really, really pumped about it. And so I invite you over to see it, and you're like, okay, that's cool. We'll come see the bunny rabbit. <laughs> and you come over to my house, and I'm like, just, just, just follow me. Just, yes, wait till you see this thing. And I bring you out to my backyard. In the middle of the backyard, there's a stuffed animal bunny rabbit sitting in the middle of the backyard. And you're, you're, you're all like looking at the bunny rabbit, and I'm like, look, look at this thing. This thing is awesome. It's beautiful. Is, is that the perfect pet? Do you have a bunny rabbit pet? This thing is, it could not be any better. And you're looking at each other like, who's going to tell them? That's not a real bunny rabbit. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? That's not a real bunny rabbit. Look at this sweet little bunny rabbit. What does it look like to you? If that's not a bunny rabbit, what is, what is it? And you say, if it was a bunny rabbit, it would, be, it would be hopping around in the backyard. It would be eating the grass. It would be, you wouldn't be able to catch it. It's not a real bunny rabbit. It doesn't hop. It doesn't move. It's not breathing. It doesn't have a heartbeat. It's just, it's, it's a stuffed animal. Greg, what's the deal? What's going on? The stress of the move broke something in you or something. I worked really hard on that illustration, by the way, all right? That was tough to come up with. I, I thought a long time about that. And it is related, it is related to today's passage. Not all my illustrations relate very well, but this is related to today's passage. Our passage today in the book of James makes the point that if you have a genuine faith in Christ, that faith will be demonstrated by the things that you do. That faith will be demonstrated by the way that you live. In the same way that if it was a real rabbit, it would be demonstrated by the way that it hops around, eats carrots and stuff, whatever rabbits do. It would be evident that it's real by what it does. The way James says it is, faith without works is dead. It's not real. So we're going to be opening up to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18 today. And we're going to spend, well, we're going to spend one Sunday on these verses, these five verses. But there's a couple more paragraphs that talk about faith and works. And we're going to spend a few weeks here just so that we make sure we really understand what James is talking about. This is the section of James that is the most debated and um, difficult to understand in a lot of ways. 
this interplay between faith and works. And it's a really fine line because you don't want to start believing that in order to become a Christian, you just start doing good works. That's getting the cart before the horse. You do good works because of what has happened inside of you. And that's the whole point of the relationship between faith and works. So I'm going to read through this, James 2, 14 through 18, and then we're going to start talking about it. Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds, our eyes, our, hear, our ears to hear you. That we would understand the gift of salvation better. And we would understand what you have given us in Christ better when we leave today. And that out of that understanding, we would begin to learn how to do good things based on what you've already done in us and through us. In Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen. James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. James is saying, if you have a faith that doesn't show itself in your real life in any way, it's just words. It's dead. What good is it? It would be just like saying to someone who has a genuine need, good luck with that. It's just words. It's dead. You're not really doing anything to make a real life difference for them. Now, James, again, is not saying if you do good works it will lead you to having a genuine saving faith. That would be like me going up to my stuffed bunny rabbit and putting a string around it and hopping it along like this and saying, see, it is real. It's doing the stuff that bunny rabbits do. But that's often what people think about for Christianity that it is, as long as you do these things that make you look like a Christian, then you're a real Christian. That's not how it works. And I pray that that will become more and more evident these next couple of weeks as we break this down. What James is saying in this passage is, if you claim to have faith in Christ, there will be evidence of that faith in the way that you live your life. Evidence. If there's no evidence, then it mustn't be the type of faith that actually saves a person. Let's talk about what that means. Because verse 14 says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? What exactly is a faith that saves you? What is a saving faith? It's a faith in Christ that leads to our eternal salvation. 
Now, when I say eternal salvation, we need to cut through the stale vision of what many of us think about when we hear salvation that has been passed down to us from churchianity. Salvation, when I was younger, did not sound like an interesting thing. To receive eternal salvation, first of all, felt like something that is insignificant now for my life and will be significant later when I'm on some city up in the clouds that has like gold streets and it was not compelling. I thought, I, someone told me once, um, I was, it was first of all weird for me to go to church and, and sing. I didn't understand that. I was like a, a teenage guy. I wasn't, I didn't enjoy singing in public. That was a little strange. There's a reason why we do that, to raise our affections for Christ. But it, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. So someone told me once that get used to singing because that's what you're going to be doing for all of eternity. You're going to be like in a church singing. And I'm like, my voice is changing. I'm self-conscious about it. It just doesn't sound great. So we have to work through the riffraff of what, we've, what we have in our minds sometimes of what eternal salvation actually means. The faith that saves you is worth having because it gives you an eternal salvation. And eternal salvation means that you have entered into an enchanted and an eternal kingdom in which your life will forever be bursting at the seams with the goodness, beauty, love, abundance, peace, and joy of God. Salvation begins now. As particles of heaven begin to live inside of you because Christ and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. William Perkins gives a definition of theology. He says, theology is the science of living blessedly forever. A saving faith understands that Jesus is our, I like what John Piper says here. He says that Jesus is, our, is three things to us if we're going to experience saving faith. He's our savior. So it's the moment in our life and for, you know, there, for much of my life I was stiff-arming God. As I hope we always have people in here who are on the journey who feel like, yeah, I'm still stiff-arming God because I needed to hear how good he was and I didn't believe it. But it's the moment where you realize that there is a good king afoot and we bend our knees and lay down our arms and stop fighting against him. And we entrust ourselves to him. Saving faith understands that Jesus is a savior. It understands that he's our Lord. So now that I've entrusted myself to you, I've laid down my weapons, I've seen that you are the only way for me to experience this life of goodness. I also entrust every aspect of my life to you. That's what it means for him to be our Lord. You have ultimate say over everything that I do. And then it also means that he's our greatest treasure. In other words, it isn't just an intellectual experience. It's a heart experience. Our affections are raised. We actually grow in love for Jesus. 
it's, it's weird asking Christians, like, how, are, how have you been growing in the last year? And it'll often manifest itself. We'll, we'll say, like, um, well, I'm doing this thing less that I shouldn't be doing. Or I'm, I'm starting to serve people more. But one of the things that we should say, my affection, my heart for Jesus is being stirred. He's actually someone that's becoming un, more and more interesting to me. If you have a dead faith, none of this is interesting. And there's nothing I can do to dress it up so it will be interesting. You're going to be apathetic and indifferent because I was too before the Spirit came alive in me. And you're going to be in a room full of people sometime who are singing, looking around like, what's everyone's problem? This is stupid. This is weird. This is dumb. I'm not intellectually stimulated. This guy's just talking too much. He, it doesn't make any sense. I'm very uninterested. Yeah, I've been there too. When you catch it, when the Spirit comes alive to you, salvation becomes interesting when you know what it is. Otherwise, you think this world is interesting. When you have a saving faith and you see what's beyond just, you see past the ceiling into a world of goodness that God is avalanching towards you, salvation becomes very interesting and Jesus becomes your greatest treasure. He becomes someone that when you talk about him, your heart is stirred. You're not indifferent. You're not casual. You're not cold. You're stirred. And saving faith happens when we finally see God for who he really is. Have you ever guys watched, the, they have those YouTube videos that there's like, an, there's like a coyote stuck in a barbed wire fence. You guys ever see those videos and someone's like a good Samaritan, like a hunter walking by and sees it. Oh, I'm gonna, let's get my Leatherman out here and I'm going to free this thing. And you walk, they start walking towards the coyote, and it just starts snarling at them, and it's just angry, and it gets really aggressive, and it wants to, it wants to attack the person that's trying to free them. The animal is fighting and fighting and fighting against this person, and we know that all they're trying to do is save their life, and the animal thinks it's trying to do them harm. And so it's defending themselves, pushing the person off, scaring them away. Saving faith is when we realize that God is drawing near to free us, not harm us. To give us life, not take it. Now James is saying, if this saving faith is actually a reality in your life, there will be evidence of that when it happens. And this is what he calls works. Because when you entrust yourself to Jesus as your Savior, Lord, and supreme treasure, something incredibly profound happens at the soul level. Let's go back to my backyard. And you're with me and you're looking down at this, my pet little stuffed animal, bunny rabbit. When someone experiences saving faith, it's like that little stuffed animal bunny rabbit becoming alive. And I'm not talking about the, the velveteen rabbit type of coming alive that just because it's used a lot becomes No, it actually, the, the bunny rabbit becomes alive. And it begins to hop around. It begins to frolic around in the backyard. You're like, how is it doing that? Because it has become alive. 
That's what it means to become a Christian. You become alive in a new way. God recreates you. You experience an internal resurrection, one day to be followed by an external resurrection. But for now, the only thing that's resurrected is your your internal life. When Jesus comes back, he's going to give you a resurrected body to go with that. But right now, it's just a spiritual reality. So if you came up to me and you asked me, how do I become a Christian? I wouldn't say you need to start doing good things. That's where you start. Just start doing good stuff for people. I would say you need to be made alive in Christ. I would say we were all born dead in our sins. We were all born stuffed bunny rabbits. And sometimes people meet Christians who are actually stuffed bunny rabbits who are trying to act like they're alive. And so they do weird things. And that's a whole different sermon. I am not even going to open that door right now. When we put our faith in Jesus, it's no longer dead, it's alive. It's a saving faith. And the good works that we do serve as genuine evidence of that saving faith. And that's what James is talking about. It's a test. You know, Our good works is a type of test to see if it's really alive in us. So I'm just going to go through a handful of things really, really quickly that might explain the difference between works that are produced by a dead faith and works that are produced by a saving faith. And I'm just going to get very practical so you can kind of begin to recognize the differences. Works produced by a dead faith is I'm too absorbed in my own life to love and serve others. I'm too absorbed in, you know, my image. Um, I'm too absorbed in my success to really have time to love and serve other people. When you become a, before you're a Christian, you're inward focused. You're just, it's like, navel gazing. You're just concerned with you. You you lack resiliency. When you become a Christian, God lives inside of you. God is extroverted. He's looking outward. So you start noticing, ah, this happened to me. This happened to me when I became a Christian. Oh, there's people in my life. Oh, I can actually be interested in other people. I actually want to care for other people. That's a miracle. If you knew me before I was a disciple of Jesus, you would agree. That's a miracle. Any act of selfless love is a miracle. Even if you're not following Christ yet, if it happens, it's a miracle. Works produced by saving faith is your life is marked by frequent acts of thoughtful and loving service to others. And you're, you're, you're no longer obsessed with yourself. That's another one. Works produced by dead faith is self-produced righteousness. You, become, you, you work really, really, really hard at becoming a good person. Works produced by saving faith, it's not self-produced righteousness, it's spirit-produced righteousness. So you start doing good things because God is giving you an appetite to do good things. Works produced by dead faith is life transformation is forced by 100% self-effort. And works produced by saving faith is life transformation happens naturally in partnership with the Spirit's gentle guidance. You cannot transform yourself. 
You can make yourself have different habits. You can make yourself be more consistent in, you know, working out. There's all sorts of things you can do apart from God's help. You cannot become a more loving person on your own. You can't be transformed into a more gentle and kind person on your own. Not in any real deep, impactful, lasting way. How's about this? Work produce, works produced by dead faith. There will be short bursts of victory over sinful tendencies, but no significant progress in the long run. So if it's a dead faith, you know, you, you really muster, muster up some strength and you're like, I'm not going to do this thing or I'm not going to do that anymore. And you have victory over it for like a few weeks and then it just, there's nothing lasting. You just fall back into the same patterns. That comes from a dead faith. A faith that's alive, works produced by saving faith, is you still experience moments of failure, but there's evidence of significant and lasting transformation over the course of years. You look back one day and realize, oh man, I haven't fallen into that in a long time and I haven't even thought about it. Um... Works produced by a dead faith, obstinate, cynical, nobody, none of you are allowed giving any input as to how I ought to live my life. You're not allowed. You know, we are Americans, we are autonomous, we are individualists, we're cynical against any version of authority. That's America. That's not scripture. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom is some of you have been kind enough and loving enough to say, Greg, you're going down a path you shouldn't be going down. And a fool, Scripture says, I'm going to do my own works, forget you, I don't care what you say, nobody gets to tell me what you do. You know, there is, you're not allowed having hierarchy, you're not allowed speaking into my life that way. In the kingdom, I say, I trust you, a wound from a friend is good for me, it's done out of love. And I trust you to see, because this is how the kingdom works. In the kingdom, people can see one another's ways that they're wandering off the path and say, get back on the path and trust Jesus. If you trust Jesus, you'll do this. And some of you have done that for me. Saving faith, the works is we trust our friends who love us and see us. Last one, works produced by dead faith, is we're shocked and outraged by other people's sins, uh, leading to self-righteous anger and blindness to our own sins. You know, we're devastated when we find out that someone near us has, has sinned. And we're shocked. We're surprised. And then we look outside of the church and we're shocked that there's people who don't have Jesus are like living in these crazy, obstinate ways against God. And we get angry and we get self-righteous. That's a dead faith work. Works produced by saving faith is we're not surprised by sin in others because of our own personal struggles and victories, which leads to a compassionate, non-judgmental come off. So those are some of the fruits of the works that we can look for. The difference between a dead faith and a saving faith James is arguing here that you can recognize someone who has been truly made alive by their faith in Christ, by the way they live. Any work 
that is not generated by God's love flowing through us is always going to be limited by our own power and our own resources. Any work that is not generated by God's love flowing through us is always going to be limited by us, by our power, our resources. But if it's God's work that he's doing through us, animated by love for others, we have access to his unlimited power and his unlimited resources. Every now and again, there's a handful of people that visit Southside that um, you, you might not have even recognized them as visitors, but they come in, they don't tell me when they're showing up, and it's a group of people that um, I'm really tight with because we started this thing together called The Garage. Now, some of you have heard about The Garage. Uh, the Garage was an outreach in Wadsworth for teenage teenagers who were troublemakers. Teenagers who were not getting invited to youth group. Teenagers who were not getting invited to Bible studies. Teenagers who were getting in trouble for skateboarding in downtown Worcester, vandalizing, selling and dealing, even gang activity as people came from Akron. These teenagers were homeless, they were troubled, and they were troublemakers, and nobody was reaching them. And I had been a part of, for years, organizations that are like, let's do something about these. Let's help these kids out. Let's, and these are you know, not Christian organizations. Let's help these kids. Let's give them a place to go. And everything that we tried on all of those organizations, none of it worked. None of it made a lasting impact. It just all, they all kind of just got stale and didn't do anything. And so because of some ways that God prodded us and some of my own frustration, probably some of it was born out of sin and just frustration um, with myself and with some of the youth group dynamics that we had at the time. I got, we got a group of people and, and I said, you know, instead of trying to get these kids to come to us, let's go to them and, and let's see if we can actually make a significant difference. Let's do a work that Instead of trying to do it without any of God's help, let's invite Jesus into this and see what can happen. It's the first time I think someone in that area got a group of people together and said, okay, Jesus, we're not just going to start doing stuff. We want you to guide us. And the first several months was us praying for repentance and asking God to show us if there's anything in us that would make us ineffective as we tried to do this good work. And we prayed and Every Saturday morning, for hours we prayed. There were people on the ground confessing sins that they've been dealing with for years, crying, and God was giving them strength and power and victory to overcome those things. And we were just praying, make us good and right and clean and useful so that we can actually do something. We want to do good works for these kids, but we want you to work through us. So when we felt that it was time, we said, all right, now we're going to pull the trigger. We need a place. God gave us a place. Because of one of the ladies who comes here every now and again, Lou Fister, because of her, 
we got the only private parking lot in downtown Wadsworth. Just miracle. We said, okay, God, now what do we do? Give pizza out. We got pizza. I'm walking around downtown Wadsworth. I'm like, this is really weird. We're trying to do good. This is odd. Hey, 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 come here. I got some pizza for you. I'm running at these kids like this with the pizza. They're like running away from me. Like, get away from that guy. Like, I can't imagine what they must have thought. I'm like passing out pizza. I'm like, hey, we're going to have a place for teenagers. You can come have pizza every Thursday. They're like, hey. Mom told me not to talk to people like you. Yeah, that is very creepy. I'm like, no, seriously, just free pizza. What else do we need to do? They're getting kicked out of parking lots. God, what do we do? Build them a skate park. For years, I'm not exaggerating, years and years and years, Wadsworth had been talking about building a skate park for kids. And they were waiting and waiting and waiting. I said, let's... This is God giving us idea and capacity to love them for real good works. It's not good works apart from him. It's good works with the Spirit, so it does something. Let's make it portable. We had, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know what that looks like. All these people come and build these beautiful ramps and all these things. They're wood so we can roll them away and put them away. We need a place for them to go inside when it's not, when it's not nice. We got a warehouse that sits on the edge of the private property, we, we didn't pay anything for it. This again is Lou. We fill it with things that we think those kids will like. We have someone that says, we're going to give you pizza every Thursday. God, just keep, we want to do good. We want to do good. What else do they need? People are handing me money on Sunday mornings, handing me $100 bills. Do whatever you need to do for these kids. It grows and grows and grows because it's good works done by the power of the Holy Spirit, not just me and my limited resources and powers. We're praying on one Thursday night. It's our first one. Three kids come, and their names all begin with J. And it was the weirdest thing. They're like, what are you guys trying to do here? Like, we're trying to build a place for you that we can serve you and care for you and love you. A few weeks after that, we're praying, we're a little disheartened, and Lou gets up, she looks outside, and she says, look outside. There's a hundred kids in the parking lot. And we never looked back. Because we said, what would it look like to do good works that are powered and animated by God's love flowing through us to these people? And then we got a coffee shop. And then we got a pro skate shop. And then these teenagers were taught how to work and be employees for a pro skate shop. And then they were taught how to work at a coffee shop. And then there were teen Bible studies that started for teenage girls who were pregnant. And then there were donations that just were dropped off at the door for these girls who needed food, who needed to be educated, who needed to be taught how to take care of this little baby, who needed stuff. And then there were kids that were giving up selling and dealing and drugs and weapons and coming to Christ. And some of those kids today are in ministry as pastors. What does it look like? What would it look like for you to stop waiting to see what a world without Jesus can do, what good works a world without Jesus can do, and take James seriously 
and say, with Jesus, with his spirit, we don't just have to say, go and be well. We can do something. When you build your life in such a way, here's, here's the potential of good works for a broken world. This is where we're landing it. We talked about salvation. We talked about that being the only way the spirit works through you to a broken world. The good that you can do, the difference between some of these works as far as how they relate to character. But now let's talk about what does it look like for you to literally do good works to the world around you. Not by starting up a committee with people who couldn't care less about what Jesus can do, but by huddling together in small communities and say, here's a need. What could the Spirit of God in his unlimited love for people do through us to meet some of these needs? And when you are kingdom-minded and the goal is to reach people who are far from God with the greatest news in the history of the world, the gospel of Jesus, and your goal is to exalt him, which was always our goal with the garage. If your goal is to exalt Jesus, guess who you get along with that? The Holy Spirit. Any act of faith where you're trying to exalt Jesus by serving others, the Holy Spirit comes with you and pours out so many resources, you won't, have, you won't know what to do with all of it. Holy Spirit animated good works. Let's pray. Father, thank you that James gives us this litmus test and this challenge. The test to see that if our faith is genuine by examining the works that we do and the ways that we live our life. But also a challenge to live by a faith that is alive in us because of your Holy Spirit so that we don't merely say to a lost and broken world in need go your way blessed by God and we don't do anything but we actually have our hearts opened wide to the needs of the world and we are attentive to where you are calling us to do good works in the world. Not because of our own creativity, but because your spirit has put that burden in us and your spirit will also, if you've given us the burden, you will give us the resources. So help us to be attentive to where you are at work in us so that we can test to see if the faith is alive and so that we can do things with your power and with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.